Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to The Solo Collective. I'm your host, Rebecca Seal. This episode is about self-care. The big parts of self-care are mental health, our physical health, and the smaller parts of self-care to do with brushing your hair every morning and putting on some nice clothes to work in. When we start working by ourselves, and obviously for a lot of us, that's been only the last year and a half or so, I think that we forget to think about how to look after ourselves in a kind of very day-to-day way and we forget to get dressed or to look after ourselves in those ways and and that stuff can have quite a profound impact on your mental health and your sense of self and sense of self-worth and so that's why I think it's worth having conversations like this and it's worth thinking about this stuff because bit by bit we have to keep ourselves together we have to kind of keep an eye on on our internal workings and make sure that small choices that we're making they can really undo us over the longer term and it took me quite a long time to get to grips with this stuff and some of it 12 years in I'm still getting to grips with now and we're all kind of works in progress over really the whole of our careers but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't think about it every single day. I am talking with Emma Gunavadana or Emma Guns, as you might know her from the Emma Guns podcast. And she also was beauty editor at OK Magazine for 10 years and is now a freelance writer, which she's been doing since 2012. And so it's fair to say she's busy. She does a lot of different things and she thinks hard about this stuff. She thinks hard about how to make solo working work for her. And she's had some wrong turns and some missteps like we all have. And she was incredibly honest and incredibly revealing and candid. And we had a really, I think, quite sort of deep and involved conversation. And that's why I think that this is going to be a particularly helpful conversation to listen to. I wanted to talk to you because I feel as though you might know a bit more than most of us about how to look after ourselves. And I know that you've been working by yourself for nine years. So I'm hoping that in that nine year period, you've really nailed it and you can help the rest of us because, <laughs> yeah, no pressure. Um, <laughs> because I feel as though, I don't know about you, but I, so I went freelance 12 years ago and I don't know if I really figured out how to look after myself in a sort of self-care type way until about like two years ago, <laughs> if that, in that I just worked and worked and worked and worked and I didn't really do anything particularly to look after myself. So how did you, assuming you have, and maybe you haven't, or maybe you sometimes have and sometimes haven't, but how did you sort of strike a balance with that when you were beginning out on your own? Do you know, that's a really excellent question because when I think about it, 
I think actually working from home, working by yourself, that freelance life that you've experienced as well can be quite confronting. And it's just made me think, hmm, I wonder if it's any coincidence that a couple of years into that, I did basically get diagnosed with depression and anxiety and had a bit of a breakdown because I think it just gives you a heck of a lot of time and you can be incredibly self-critical and it can be really challenging to not have the barometer of other people's expectations or needs and wants as you experience in an office on a daily basis around you all the time. And so I think that just really leads me to say that actually working by yourself, working from home is really challenging and can actually really have a negative impact on your mental health. But for me personally, that negative impact kind of led to a rock bottom that then allowed me to put the pieces back together to hopefully get to that point that you're talking about of kind of figuring out what self-care looks like and what looking after myself within the context of working alone really looked like. As you were talking then, I was just thinking that our definition of self-care is quite an interesting thing to think about because I, I, I suspect that like me, probably a lot of people think of self-care as being, you know, long baths and, you know, yoga classes and maybe stuff you can buy or whatever. But actually the most self-caring thing that I've done recently was to get a therapist. <laughs> and that's been that's been massive. I think that was what I misunderstood. I think I understood self-care as a kind of I don't know, something I could squeeze into an hour a week rather than something that was more like, not not that therapy isn't an hour a week too, but it's a more sort of holistic global thing that you do to your brain, isn't it? Rather than a bath. <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't, self-care doesn't, shouldn't be an add-on. It's like giving yourself another, yet another thing to do. Right. So I know I will have a relaxing bath. Like you can, <laughs> yeah. The pressure you can feel. I think, yeah, that was definitely something I learned of, it's not about what you do outwardly in order to the, the self-care that can be really meaningful. It's about what you do inwardly. Mm. So I think it's quite a steep learning curve and it's a relearning curve, isn't it? Yeah. Because probably the way in which we eat or the way in which we look after ourselves are habits. Mm. And unlearning a habit is quite challenging. It's quite tricky. It's a big task. And then replacing that with a new habit that will be more helpful. Like that's a, that's a lot of work. So yeah. it's... It's sort of that that in itself can be really overwhelming and make you think, oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh, I don't know if I've got it in me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's so true. I mean, it's something I say to people a lot when I do workshops about how to work by yourself. It's like, you're not going to be done with this stuff. I mean, hopefully it won't be hard if you're at a pinch point. You can, you can figure your way through a hard moment and things will get easier, but you're constantly going to be in a state where you need to rethink things change habits change your setup to reflect the way that your life is now as opposed to how it was five years ago or how it will be in five years time you know there's not a perfect solution to any one situation and we constantly have to kind of make changes I think that's sort of simultaneously optimistic and also quite intimidating at the same time which I think maybe is one of the reasons why people think that solo working is particularly challenging would you agree with that I think people do think uh solo working is particularly challenging well they either have I don't know about you but I think they have either their two perceptions that it's really difficult and they wouldn't want to do it or surely you'll just end up watching tv and <laughs> yeah. not working 
Because I remember when I first went freelance, that was what a lot of people said to me. It's like, oh, I couldn't motivate myself to work from home by myself. And I say, trust me, builds are motivating. As soon as they start coming in, like you put your pedal to the metal and that's as simple as that. But yeah, I do think I've definitely adapted the way that I've worked over the last eight years. So it hasn't been consistent. Like when I first started, I had a lot of cork boards and whiteboards on the walls in the office because I wanted to be surrounded by cues to work all the time. So I wanted to, I didn't just want a to-do list on my desk. I wanted it on a whiteboard in big writing, hopefully with like a little cartoon, like a sort of drawn GIF that I'd managed to put on it. So it looked slightly entertaining. And then I realized at some point that they weren't being, they weren't helping me anymore. So I had to shift. So I do think you have to constantly reassess what's working for you what's helping you be self-motivated which I think is probably the key thing is a lot of people think I need to have a boss tell me what to do or mm. I need to have a job description that tells me what to do and when you work from home and it's freelance life so there's no set job description necessarily I think that can be the intimidating thing of well, how do I motivate myself to pitch or how do I do this or how do I know that I'm ticking all the boxes that I need to tick because it's quite nebulous like I'm freelance and I work from home what does that mean so maybe we can talk about what your solo working life looks like now I mean I'm not going to say describe your average day because I'm guessing you probably don't have one <laughs> but how no. do you sort of frame your work like what how does how does it play out over a week for you so I think the most important thing in order for me to be productive and get my job done isn't actually doing anything to do with work at all. It is that at the end of every day, I clean my desk down, wipe down all the surfaces. Our listeners, Rebecca can see, like I've got a fairly white office. So I clean everything down, I wipe everything down, all the paper that I've scribbled on in the day, I organize, I put away or bin depending. I get a lot of samples because I create a lot of beauty content. So I get, uh, I have a box over here, which I've deliberately put out of your eye line, <laughs> which just at the moment is sort of, is um, overwhelmed with products because I'm filming some video content. So I make sure all of that is stacked up neatly. And then I literally get a carpet rake and I rake my way out of the office and I get rid of all my footprints on the carpet and I shut the door. And then I don't come in until the next morning. And basically, psychologically, what that does is when I open the door the next day, it's like going into a fresh hotel room. It feels like, oh, it just feels like a blank page in the best way. So that's one of my key things. And I haven't always been great at that. But I think definitely in lockdown, even though I've worked from home for ages, I used to go out and do podcasts. I used to do them face to face and mm. I used to go out and have meetings. And I think in lockdown, I've really realized how important that element is in terms of my productivity is just being clean, being organized, making sure I know where everything is. So you know what it's like when you've got a random bit of paper that you're looking for and then all it can make you spiral and you think, oh, for goodness sake, or you look at the, the desk and there's a, a ring from where you put your tea down and didn't have a coaster and then all of a sudden you've got to sort out that and you end up so it just means that I don't get distracted it's just a very clear way of making sure that I have clear focus when I get into the, the room and I turn on my computer and then I think one of the things that I realized really early on in freelance life which isn't necessarily specific to now but it, it helps me catch myself if I feel like I'm not being productive is when I used to work in an office, it could take ages to get seemingly a simple task done, like write a 1500 word feature. Mm -hmm. It could take a week or a few days. Whereas 
in my own office without any interruptions, I can probably do that in two to four hours. Mm-hmm. And I didn't appreciate how uh, how I could really condense down my productivity, which meant that it opened up a hell of a lot of time. And like you, I think, from what you've said, I just filled up that extra time with more work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and actually, that definitely leads to, I think, the it's very easy to burn out. Mm-hmm. I personally find working for myself because I think I just haven't had a break. But then I don't want to take a break because the buck stops with me. Mm. So if there's any kind of momentum when it comes to my work, I'm like, let's tap into that. And so it can be quite easy to get pulled down that path of, well, I'm going to be as productive as possible and make hay while the sun shines because there's going to be a period and I don't know when that's going to come where I'm not going to be as busy, where I'm going to wish I was as busy as I am now. So there's sort of all of that going on. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely find that I can be more productive in a working day at home. And so... Actually, the thing that has been really handy and really useful is factoring in going outside. Right. And because otherwise, if I if I finish something and I'm not quite in the headspace to get onto the next task, I can sort of pace around a little bit like a pet that you think, <laughs> oh, do they need to go to the vet? I can sort of pace around the kitchen, then pace around the living room, then pace around the office and not really do anything. And I've realized that if I get more than five minutes of that feeling of, I don't want to sit down. I don't want to stand up. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I walk outside. I just go outside and get five minutes of fresh air. Five to ha- five minutes to half an hour, depending on how much time I realistically have. Mm. And that's just like a palate cleanser. That's just a mental leveler of just when you come back in, you're more inclined to think, right, I'm going to get on with the next thing. Yeah. Rather than trying to go from task to task to task without moving, like an 80s movie montage of some teenager cramming for a test (laughs) where you actually just you just slowly kill your energy I think anything that you can do and I used to say this a lot when I first started 10 star jumps you don't have time and you've got to go from one thing to the next really really quickly just get up and do 10 star jumps yeah yeah get get everything moving get the blood Mm -hmm. moving yeah I totally agree so the um the raking of your carpet um thing is I'm sure you know this already but it's called a transitional ritual and they're so important and I I just think often we don't even realize that we have them and sometimes it's really crucial to notice what you're doing as your transitional ritual and then it takes on a level of importance like you've already done that but also I think that thing of tidying up at the end is so important like getting it clean for tomorrow, but also doing something really symbolic for your brain to say, right, that's the end. That's Mm -hmm. the end. Because we struggle so much with endings. Firstly, as humans, we're not great at endings anyway, and we're not great at transitions. But with work occupying more and more of our homes and our brains and our smartphones, it just gets more and more difficult to figure out when the end is and what it looks like. A hundred percent. I'm still really guilty of it, but I used to be guilty of it in my old job. So when I worked on magazines and somebody asked me the other day about how I transitioned from nine to five life to working from home, a magazine wasn't nine to five life either because I worked Mm. weekends. I'd cover events in the evening. Mm. uh, So it wasn't, I've, I've never really had that sort of strict regime of a nine to five. But yeah, one of the things somebody said to me, I think the first week I went freelance was, marking the transition between the end of the working day and the beginning of your evening is going to be one of the hardest things. Yeah. Because there will always be a temptation to 
go in and just send another email or do something or look at something and I think that is a really crucial thing is that you have to have downtime yeah and it can be really tempting to just take every opportunity say yes to everything but I definitely think and this is part of like a mental health journey as well as a working from home journey or working alone journey is saying no oh my goodness as soon as I started saying no to things it's so counterintuitive and I thought oh god my career is going to end this is terrible But I was only saying no to the things that my gut was telling me were going to be too much like hard work or uh, I just didn't have time for realistically. And actually, as soon as I started saying no, obviously there was a sense of balance because if you're saying yes to some things and no to other things, then you are balancing out requests. But if you're only saying yes to everything, there is a sense of imbalance, right? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Like I think choice is a really interesting thing when you work by yourself because theoretically you've got endless choice you can completely choose everything I mean and not theoretically it that's true you can (laughs) but you very rarely feel that way because you feel as though you know you have to say yes to everything you have to work a very long amount of time and you lose the ability I think to see where choice exists and how much better making choices would make you feel I think because I think when you've got a when you have an office environment you have colleagues around you it's that thing of it's a difference between feeling alone and feeling lonely Mm. so when you have the momentum of other people around you you can ask their opinion you can get a sense from the room about what the right thing to do and what the wrong thing to do is. So actually, I think another quite confronting thing about solo working is the fact that you have to trust yourself. And if you've not really been in that position before, I think that can be a thing that can really seep into your personal life. I definitely realized that when I thought, God, I'm asking I'm asking me what to do here. I've never done that before. Mm. And I don't know what to tell myself because <laughs> I'm constantly yeah. looking for someone to, to tell me what to do. Yeah. And that I think was was a lot. And I think actually that's what can be in the long term. And I don't know if you found this, you've been doing it quite a bit longer than me, but I don't know if you found that can be quite empowering to actually feel not just that you're working solo and you're doing well, but that you have autonomy and you know what you're doing. Hmm. I think when you realize that you've worked on that muscle and it's gone from being sort of quite weak to be, look at me squeezing my bicep as if I've got them. Um, (laughs) They go from being quite weak to feeling quite strong and sturdy and that they support you. I think that can make you feel incredibly empowered in what you do. Yeah, that's true. I would say that for me, that that again has come relatively recently. It's only very recently that I've got into a better habit of of doing things like saying no. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm always curious as what people think about routines because <laughs> mine is sort of loose <laughs> let's say like I do have one but it's erratic that feels and... like a confession <laughs> <laughs> well I think it's I think it's probably more than anything it's to do with having l- little kids at the moment because um, I think I was a bit more rigid in my routine before and I've struggled with that. And I think anyone who's had like caring responsibilities of any sort will, will genuinely, generally struggle with the kind of the way in which other people's needs can kind of impinge on what you had planned. <laughs> However lovely those impingements might be. And so I'm always curious as to whether people think that routine is a kind of a great way of managing a solo working life or whether having less of a routine is a good way to manage it. Um, like, do you build in things into a routine that are elements of self-care? I mean, you've talked already about your ending of the day and how that starts you with a fresh slate in the morning and then breaking for, for movement breaks. But is there anything else then to your routine that's about looking after yourself? I always start the day with exercise, okay. some form of exercise. And just because it wakes me up, makes me feel really good. And there's a sense of achievement. So I um, set, I have two alarms. I set my alarm for six and I also set my alarm for seven. And it will depend on how I've slept because I can be, I either sleep very, very well or very poorly. Right. So if I wake up at six and I feel, oof, then at least I've got that window of opportunity to sleep a bit later. But then I get up and I do... Sometimes it'll be yoga and always in my living room. Sometimes it'll be like hit training, weight training. I've got basically the, like a lot of people's living rooms now. I've just got these stacks of weights in the corner. And or I go for a long walk. I live near a big park and I go for a long walk and I listen to an audio book or a podcast. And just moving in the morning, I find really useful. And I think... I recently I got into the habit because I was getting quite panicked about work and some deadlines. I got into the habit of getting into my gym kit, working out and then sitting at my desk and then realizing I hadn't showered and it was three o'clock in the afternoon. And while that was no bad thing and I was getting through my work, it was indicative of a a small amount of chaos because Mm. I wasn't able to organize myself. Whereas on a good day, meaning on a day when I've set everything up, the routine would be get up, work out, stretch, shower, do hair and makeup. I personally think even if you're working from home, even if no one is seeing you, the makeup and the hair is not to do with anyone else. It's to do with you. Yeah. And so, and I think if I do sit in my office and I work and I have, I have worked out and I'm sweaty and disheveled and I'm wearing my specs and I haven't put my contacts in, uh, it's just not how I would want to show up. And so I, in, in a in an office environment so I don't want to I want to have the same respect for my home office environment so that's really really important to me is to get up work out shower put on hair do my hair do my makeup and dress accordingly dress just so that I can I mean normally I just run around the corner in a pair of adidas but like what you're wearing if I threw on some boots I could and someone said hey there's um 
think I'm, I don't know think of a dream podcast guest you'll never guess what they're in the cafe around the corner go and introduce yourself I could just whack on some boots and go and I'd feel like I'm I'm presenting myself well might seem might seem ridiculous but it I mean hair and makeup doesn't take that long and it's just something that makes you feel really good I think I totally agree I I do exactly the same thing I mean I, I dress for work on the days that I'm working um, yeah. not that I wear a suit I mean I'm wearing a t-shirt and a skirt <laughs> right now um, yeah, that, that's, as, that's as fancy as it gets really but then I worked at a newspaper when I wasn't freelance and that, that was quite fancy for the newspaper to be honest yeah <laughs> <laughs> but no I think it's really important and I, I did want to ask you specifically about clothes and kind of appearance because I do think that there's been a lot in the last year in the press about people you know wearing nothing but loungewear and gym wear and I and I think if that makes you feel good, that's great. If you feel comfortable and happy and free in that, then absolutely go for it. But I just wonder whether there are quite a lot of people like you and I who wouldn't really thrive in that situation. Like, I don't want to be uncomfortable in what I wear, but I don't want to wear my gym kit for the full day. And I have done that a few times like you. I've, I've been in a rush and I've exercised. One of the things I try and do to trick myself into exercising is leave my gym kit out the night before so yeah. that I can't <laughs> not put it on because that's just too embarrassing. And yeah, so and then I find myself still at my desk in my gym kit later on and it doesn't feel good. So I just wonder whether you think that, that, that this sort of trend towards loungewear in general is making people feel good or not. Well, I think it comes back a little bit to the fact that you and I have been doing, have been solo working for a long time yeah. before lockdown happened. Yeah. And it's that thing of, I think when you start, when you first go freelance and you are working from home, it feels like a school holiday. It's the <laughs> yeah. closest experience that you've had to that, which is not having to get up and go out and be anywhere. And so I completely understand why the leisure wear boom happened because it feels somewhat rebellious and there seems there's a sense of freedom within that. And I think that's kind of the point of solo working. It's not a holiday. It's not about freedom. It's about you being your own boss. So you have to be the role that used to be inhabited by somebody else in the workplace. You mm -hmm. have to be the person who's saying this needs to be done. You need to be the momentum that an office full of colleagues provided. So for, for example, an office full of colleagues when I was on the magazine, you'd turn around, turn your chair around and go, has anyone got any questions for so-and-so? Or I'm interviewing such and such in a few days. What do you think? What should I ask? You have to do that for yourself. And for me personally, that is going out for a walk, getting away from the computer, thinking, right, I'm just going to think about this interviewee for the next half an hour while I'm walking and see what comes up. And that's how I'm my own office full of colleagues. But so it isn't it isn't about freedom. So I think the leisure wear thing is quite interesting. It was a very tempting trap to fall into. But me personally, I just don't think it is particularly productive. And I think mm -hmm. then when you do go back into your office environment, you are wearing something completely different the the way you're the way you're going to feel I think it I think what you wear affects your headspace and how you approach things so I think you wear gym clothes to the gym for a reason you wear office clothes to the office for a reason I, I think there's a way to show up maybe incorporating a little bit of leisure wear but I don't know as if leisure wear is entirely helpful yeah in I the agree. long term I agree I think it's about showing up as you put it earlier showing up for yourself like I, mm. I wear makeup when I'm not going to see anybody and I do it so that 
I know that I've made an effort for me, which is an odd thing to want or need to do, but it makes me feel an awful lot better than I would otherwise. So I think it's crucial. I think that one of the reasons why I ended up in therapy last year was because I kind of twigged that it was going to get a lot worse quite quickly if I didn't deal with it right then and there. And I'm not sure that I would have been able to do that a few years before. I don't know whether I would have had a decent sense that things were about to go to hell in Angkor quite quickly. Um, but I really, I did have a strong sense of like, oh, I've, I know this path. <laughs> I've been down this one before um, and I know where it ends and it's not pretty. Is that a skill that we can cultivate? Have you managed to kind of cultivate that sense of like, oh, I, I need, I need to, I need to stop this particular path happening again? I would hope so. And I think <laughs> so. So I, th- I think our stories are similar, but when I went to therapy, I had broken. Like it was like I had admitted defeat. I had called friends and family and said, I can't, I'm, I, I need to stop. That was the hardest thing actually. And I probably should have said it many, many months before because I just was, you know, running on empty, running on fumes and just making myself unwell. And what therapy did, I was very fortunate because the first therapist, and I know this isn't everybody's experience, but the first therapist I went to was brilliant. And it was one of the most transformative experiences of my entire life. I remember going to that first therapy session and and saying, I don't feel that I have an emotional toolkit to be able to handle life because everything upsets me. Everything breaks me. Everything is so harmful to me that it's almost like, and I can't wrap myself up in cotton wool because I'm a woman who lives by herself, works for herself. Like there's the buck stops with me. So I need to build a suit of armor in order to be able to navigate life. Otherwise this is just going to keep happening. And I think what ended up happening at the end of those 14 months when I was working with her, I definitely did build those layers and I definitely did arm myself with an emotional toolkit. And I use the word arm there carefully because I do think Um, At the time, I definitely felt like I was having to defend myself from the world. I don't feel like that now. But what it does mean is that now, having done that work, and it was work, and it wasn't always easy. I think, I don't know about you, but sometimes you come out of a therapy session and you think, huh, I think I could lift up that truck. And other times you come out and you just want to go to bed for 48 hours (laughs) because it's either massively uplifting or it can be really quite dark. But progress is made from both experiences and both feelings and I think now if I feel myself getting to that place where I see it off in the distance it's like I don't know about you but for me it's like it's got a color and a shape and a taste and if I begin to even notice it even notice it even faintly I will just like deploy survival mechanisms deploy the things that I know are going to push it out of my way whether that's taking a bit of a break asking what's going on like uh doing breath work just doing yoga every single day and it might sound really silly but it's because I'm getting into a mental headspace where I'm thinking very very quickly and my amygdala is going and my cortisol levels are rising and my adrenal glands are going and I know that sounds a bit woo woo but there's a there's a physical thing happening and Mm -hmm. it's happening very very slowly but it's building up and building up and building up and I know from experience that if that is not checked that just overflows and explodes and so things that I know work because I've spoken to a lot of experts on the podcast and I've read a lot of books 
is doing those things that just slow you down. So mm-hmm. Wim Hof has been on the podcast. We've talked about his breath work. Um, I've had neuroscientists on the podcast. You've talked about the amygdala and how flipping unhelpful it is whilst trying to love you in the best way <laughs> and how actually soothing the amygdala and slowing down your reactions. And I think that's a big thing as well. I mentioned a minute ago, like life used to hurt me. I didn't have an emotional toolkit. I never learned to take a beat when something happened. Mm. It was always knee jerk. And actually, I mean, it takes a lot of self-control. But now if I get an email and I think, oh, you swine or something annoys me, I just don't reply to it immediately. I think that will still be there the next day. And as we've talked about, the brain percolates and you will have a much better response and a much more reasonable response in 12 hours than you will immediately. And so I have found that, yes, I can see the shape of it. I can feel the darkness of it and I can almost taste it. And I look at what I've got going on in my life and I think, well, that kind of makes sense because I've got all of this going on. So it's kind of, I just need to, like I say, deploy the survival mechanisms that allow me to still have that workload because I still have to meet those commitments, but also just be able to navigate it without the stress levels getting up. So yeah, that I, I do think I'm in a position now where I can see it coming, but that's not to say I don't have some days where I think, do you know what the best thing for me today is to turn off my computer and go into the other room and have a helpless cry and message <laughs> yeah. one of my friends and just say today, today one, but tomorrow's not going to. Yeah. Having a good cry is, is the right thing often, I think, because you've got to get the feelings out as much as anything else. You obviously can't do it all the time, but we can't kind of squash our feelings away as well, can we? Exactly. And I think as well, you, you don't want to give the impression, particularly in public facing or like putting a podcast out there, you don't want people to think that once you have some therapy and you do a bit of breath work, that you're going to be fine from now on. Like, or I try to say as much as possible, recovery is not linear. Yeah. And that's why if I do have a day where I, you know, in, in inverted commas, the day one, I know that's not going to be the same as tomorrow. And I know I've got the things in place that can sort that out. And actually, it's okay for to not feel like, it's okay to feel a bit crappy some days because that actually is a really good measure of how far you've come. Yeah. Because maybe that day three years ago would have really, really affected you. And now today, it's sort of knocked you over a bit, but you've dusted yourself off already, so you're fine. Yeah, yeah, that's a really important message. Well, I was going to say I'm really glad that we've, both had similar experiences that we can both talk about with honesty because I feel like they'll be helpful for other people. I hope they are. I'm not glad that we've both had similar experiences though at the same time. But yeah, thank you so much for for sharing everything that you've gone through. I'm really grateful for that. It's been such a pleasure and I know what you mean. Sometimes I think, God, wouldn't it have been amazing to just navigate life without any struggles? But I just think Actually, it's character building. And if if my struggle, and I'm sure you feel the same way, if my struggle and somehow finding a way to articulate it can help somebody else who might be in the thick of it, ugh, then yeah, it was worth absolutely. it. Absolutely. You know, I'm more compassionate to myself than to other people now because of having had these experiences. So in some ways, I wouldn't trade them for that as well as for what else it might be able to give other people. Yeah, it's humanizing, isn't it? They just kind of there is that saying, isn't it? You never know what battle someone else is yeah. fighting. And you can't, it's so tempting to see the world through your own lens. And actually, even though you might not know what's going on, if you think someone might be feeling the depth or the extreme of the emotions that you and I have both been through, it does make you think, 
I'm going to cut, I'm going to cut yeah. people some slack. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Let's make that the uh, tagline for the podcast. Let's cut, cut people slack <laughs> wherever possible. <laughs> thank you, Emma. I love it. It has been, it has been brilliant. And thank you for putting all of this content out there and for being such a welcoming host, because it's been so easy oh. to chat to you. And I really appreciate it. Well, I feel the same way about your podcast. I think it's brilliant. So <laughs> thank you for putting that out there too. Thank you. <laughs> I thought that that was a great way to come back to the solo collective. So much of what Emma had to say will resonate with a lot of us and be useful for a lot of us. It's lovely to be back with everybody. We're really looking forward to sharing the rest of series two with you. We've got some really great guests lined up and some really great topics, which again, I hope will be extremely helpful to all of us who work by ourselves. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of The Solo Collective. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have anything you would like covered, let us know by leaving us a review or you can message us at The Solo Collective on Instagram. You have been listening to The Solo Collective with me, Rebecca Seal, a Chalk and Blade original produced by Laura Hyde with support from Fatuma Kera, original music by Dee Plume and engineering by Matt Nielsen. Chalk and Blade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.